Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Good for a Weekend, a Taylor Swift podcast. I'm your host, Cressy Cornus, and this is our first episode without Allie. If you haven't heard the latest G-Ball episode, give it a listen. Allie made the extremely brave and difficult choice to step down as co-host, and I'm so proud of her for listening to her body and putting herself first. I'm going to miss co-hosting with her so much, but if you know Allie in real life, you know she's constantly putting everyone else's needs above her own because she's just that kind and generous of a friend. So I'm really proud of her for putting herself first. And I'm sure y'all know this, but Allie and I are besties in real life. We're still besties. We're still going to talk. We're still going to hang out. This is just the end of our podcasting relationship, not the end of our real friendship. I love Allie so much, and I hope you're proud of her too. I did notice we got one bad review after she released her goodbye episode, and I'm here to beg y'all, please don't put that on her. That's really messed up and unfair to Allie. And this review even spelled her name wrong. Sorry, y'all, I'm um, feeling very protective right now, but please treat Allie with love and respect her decision. She's always going to be a part of the GFAL family. And I don't want y'all to worry. There's a plan in place for the future of GFAL and much to come that will be shared in the future. I'd like to thank returning guest and friends of the pod MK, my friend whom I've been to two Taylor concerts with, for guest hosting this episode with me. MK, you are a lifesaver. I called MK one morning last week, and that night we were recording. I'm so lucky to have her as a friend, as well as more friends you're about to hear from in the next couple episodes. Aaron, if you're listening to this, I'm going to beg you to come on and talk about what your lover's secret session was like, so expect a text from me after this airs. Big things are planned, so let's get into the long-awaited Jack Antonoff episode. And congratulations to Jack for winning Producer of the Year at the Grammys. Really great timing for this episode. Welcome back, MK. Thank you so much for having me again. I feel cool. Thank you for coming back. This is your third episode on Good for a Weekend. You are the leading guest of Good for a Weekend now. That puts you in top tier s tier right oh wow yeah i'm like <laughs> yeah i'm in the top tier that feels so cool <laughs> i feel like i'm not qualified well we were very qualified to talk about bleachella because we witnessed that firsthand together and i think we were pretty qualified to rank taylor's exes which were the other two episodes you did yeah i guess those don't really require any much background knowledge <laughs> besides like loving taylor so and today we're going to talk about jack antonoff which is super exciting. Do you want to share what you know about Jack Antonoff? Or are you going into this not knowing anything and you're going to learn with the listeners? Yeah, I'm going into it pretty blind. I only know Jack Antonoff mainly through Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the biggest fan of the other artists he works with. Like I don't really listen to Lana Del Rey or Lord very much. So mm-hmm. I really only know him through Taylor and a little bit about fun, but that's it. And I don't know anything about him as a person. So this will okay. be interesting. 
Well, this is exciting. I know he dated Lena Dunham. That's all I got. Okay, so those are like most of the big facts about Jack yeah. that probably a lot of people know. So I feel like you're going to be a good stand-in for the listener in this episode. Yes, it'll. I'll be learning <laughs> along. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. So Jack Michael Antonoff was born on March 31st, 1984, making this Aries 38 as of a few days ago. Oh, right. An Aries man. (laughs) The worst kind of man. (laughs) He gives off big Aries energy, doesn't he? Yeah, I can see it. He's like a little bit of a know-it-all, it seems, (laughs) Um, and very emotional. So makes sense. Yeah. He was born in Bergenfield, New Jersey, and he grew up in New Milford, New Jersey, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. His older sister is Rachel Antonoff, and she is a fashion designer. And his younger sister, Sarah, died of brain cancer at the age of 13 when Jack was a senior in high school. Jack has been really open about how greatly this impacted his life, and it's actually inspired a lot of his music, which we will get into more detail later. That is so sad. Like, I do not mean to be laughing right now, but I'm just, like, very in shock. Like, I don't know. I didn't expect that. That's very sad. Yeah, I'm sorry to start the episode with such a bummer, but this is such an important theme to knowing who Jack is. Like, so much about him as a person ties back to this very specific event in his life. So we got to talk about it. Yeah. Well, now I feel bad for calling him emotional. Maybe he has very good reason for that. (laughs) Jeez. So Jack is Jewish and attended the Solomon Schechter Day School. And for high school, both he and his sister Rachel attended the Professional Children's School in Manhattan. The Professional Children's School is a small nonprofit college prep school that enrolls 200 students from grades 6 through 12, with most of them being working or aspiring child actors or dancers. And MK, you might be thinking, Cressy, why are you like giving me the Wikipedia page for this random high school? Like, who cares? That's like if I read the Wikipedia page for Pace High School. Not that interesting. <laughs> well, let me tell you, MK, the list of famous alumni from this school is insane. So we're, I'm going to link the Wikipedia page to it on our website, gfaweekend.com, if you want to read them all. But it includes... Scarlett Johansson, whom Jack dated. Oh, I didn't know that. Christopher Walken, the Culkin brothers, all of them. Paris Hilton, Carrie Fisher, Vera Wang, Uma Thurman, Sarah just, your MK's mouth is dropping even more and more as I continue. Uma Thurman, Sarah Jessica Parker, Ashley Tisdale, Anthony Michael Hall, Yo-Yo Ma, Vanessa Carlton, and Leda Meester, literally just to name a few. Okay, so that place is fancy (laughs) and good I guess and to think that there are only 200 kids from 6 through 12 think about how many famous people that is wow that's crazy okay so he's been living a certain kind of life for a while now he has been okay and he's been surrounded by very famous people um were there any names on that list that you would have liked to have gone to school with um Sarah Jessica Parker. That one actually kind of stood out to me, which is random, but I really yeah. love her and I love Sex and the City. So, wow. Okay. That's, that's really crazy. And a lot of other ones, I guess, but that one, I, I'm just very shocked by that. I don't know. Very shocked by all of those. A lot of the names I read, too, they're like similar in age. Imagine them being Jack's classmate. Like, Scarlett Johansson and Jack went to prom together. Oh, that's when they dated. That's insane. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That is so crazy. I can't believe, like, I'm sure he's so out of touch with, like, reality <laughs> if he's been around these people for that long. Wow. Well, we'll we'll have to get into it, and you'll have to make up your decision at the end. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. I guess I don't know a lot about him, but just like being surrounded by famous people for the last at least 20 years is Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, and that was literally just a few of the names. The Wikipedia page for this school, it's all just names. And if you go to it, you might see a name that you don't recognize. If you hover over it and Wikipedia shows you the little preview with the picture, you're going to recognize the face. Yeah. This school builds famous people. And I just cannot imagine doing like algebra next to Yo-Yo Ma. I just, (laughs) I'm having a hard time fathoming how insane this school is. And that's why I really needed for us to talk about it. Wow. Not that we should like continue on the school, but I'm also wondering like, do you get in based on talent or money? Or both, I'm sure. I would love to know. I, I'm sure Paris Hilton did not apply. Yeah, because pa- that was There's another no one way. that I was like, wait, she's not like, she's talented in a way, but she's not like an actress or a singer or a dancer. Yeah. So. I don't know. Interesting. Well, okay. Anyway, much to think about. Yeah. Jack is also a self-appointed germaphobe and has been open about having anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. He doesn't shake hands. He prefers fist bumps or hugs at meet and greets. So if you ever meet him, do not go in for a handshake. He'd rather hug you than give you a handshake? That's what he said. Weird. Okay. This was a pre-COVID interview, though. It might be different now. Okay, yeah, probably. (laughs) According to a 2014 interview with Vulture, he hasn't taken public transit since 2001, and the first thing he does when he walks onto a plane is sterilize the seat with antibacterial wipes. He also won't sing into anyone else's mic or play brass instruments. The writers kind of make Jack seem really quirky about these things, but I feel like some of these things are things we did like during the height of COVID-19, which is really interesting. I feel like Jack might have been like preparing for this moment his whole life yeah he was ready his ex-girlfriend lena dunham said in an interview with people magazine in regards to his ocd quote i can't leave the house and come back in without showering there are a lot of limitations on what i can do end quote so how would you feel about that mk if you were living with a significant other and they made you shower every time you left the house that is so interesting that you already made that parallel to the pandemic because i had a roommate I was living with roommates during the pandemic and every time I left the house, when I came home, she would make me shower. So I know what that feels like. Yes. I literally know (laughs) what that feels like. I would have to take off all my clothes, put them in the washer and shower. If I came home from grocery shopping before I unpacked the groceries. So I know what that feels like and it's really weird and it sucks. So, so did you have to wipe down the groceries after you showered? How did that work? Did you disinfect those? Yeah. The groceries were the second like order of business. I had to shower first. Yeah. Close in the washer first and then walk so to the shower. So how many... Okay, I'm sorry. We can't We can't move on past this. How many like loads of laundry were you doing? We should talk about this environmental impact. I know, probably a lot. And I honestly would go grocery shopping like every other day because I was so bored, which is bad, but it's okay. I yeah. survived. <laughs> so you have something in common with Lena Dunham. Yeah, I've, I've been through that, sister. It's not fun. <laughs> so festivals can also be particularly difficult for him because it's a festival. Mm-hmm. Festivals are gross. And in an interview with Spin Magazine, Jack had an interview after the bleachers performed at Bonnaroo. And he said, quote, my tour manager has a ton of Purell at all times and I have alcohol wipes all over the place. It's hard because I just dove into the crowd and I was like wiping my whole body down, end quote. That's like kind of sad, though, honestly, because it is a mental yeah. illness. <laughs> yeah. It's not funny, though, is it? It's serious. <laughs> <laughs> 
He then went on to share that while he's performing, he tends to forget about it, which is good. In the same interview, he's asked how old he was when he noticed these symptoms. And Jack replied, quote, it shifted over time. I lost my sister at a young age, and I was always sort of concerned with health. Then I had crazy pneumonia a few years ago, and I was in the ICU. Like, are germs what I'm really worried about? No, I think what I'm really worried about are ideas of mortality. That's how I manifest. That's how I think about it. I try to keep it in check, but you know, OCD is a funny thing, end quote. So knowing Jack from Taylor and watching Miss Americana, the long pond sessions, would you have suspected any of this, MK? No. Because I didn't at all. Yeah, not really. He didn't seem like very particular about anything. I mean, I don't know like how he could have, but no, I didn't like see that coming. But I think it's really great that he's open about it. Yeah. And I know that celebrities like that, like, um... Jerry Seinfeld, who won't hug or touch fans and stuff, and he mm -hmm. gets a rep for being rude, but I don't know. Like, they can't really help it, so it's kind of sad. So now let's kind of uh, take a step back and talk about what age 17 to 18-ish was like for Jack, which was 2001. And uh, this is going to be a bummer, you guys. Oh, no. Oh, but he's been really sister. open about this in interviews, so we got to talk about it. So that year, he lost his sister, Sarah, to brain cancer. And then 9-11 happened, and, you know, he was going to school in Manhattan. And then his cousin died in war. Oh, my yeah. God. Those three things back to back. Pretty rough. Wow. And this period of loss has inspired a lot of vulnerability in Jack's work that you can hear clearly. So a lyric that jumps into my mind about this is from his song, I Want to Get Better. Do you know that song, MK? I don't. So it was the Bleachers' debut single. Actually, Taylor picked it out. She said this should be your debut single. And it ended up charting. It did really well. But there's a lyric in that song that's, I chase that feeling of an 18-year-old who didn't know what loss was. And it just makes me so sad when I hear it because, damn, 18 was hard for him. Yeah, he learned, like, very quickly all at once. So, wow. Like, I had three losses at 24, and I'm not handling that well at all. So I can't imagine dealing with that at 18, like while graduating high school, as all of your friends are leaving to go to college or become famous actors or whatever. Yeah. And you just have to keep going. Yeah, that's crazy. I haven't been through any kind of loss like that. I've only lost my grandparents and, you know, those are usually kind of expected. So yeah, that's hard. Yeah. And in regards to using personal pain in his music career, Jack has said, quote, my work is never comfortable. That's the best way I can describe songwriting or production. You're grabbing at things you don't know, which is very uncomfortable. You don't write songs about things you know, because that would be boring, right? So you write songs about the quiet voices, the ones that you can hear shouting in the distance, the ones that make you go, what is that? End quote. And I really love that quote as like a really good descriptor of grief. Because I feel like grief never really leaves you. And it's, it is kind of like that little voice that's in the back of your mind. Even if it's grief of not, a, I don't know how to say this politely, a dead person. You know, like yeah. you can grieve things. You can grieve relationships, friendships, I don't know, times of your life. Yeah. And I feel like this is a really good example of how he writes his work. Yeah, I also just like that as a description of kind of coming to terms with your feelings and how it can be uncomfortable. Cause even sometimes when I'm journaling, like I don't know exactly how to say how I feel. And I think that people like that who can songwrite and can pull that out of themselves instead of just like not journaling that night are like mm -hmm. very 
I feel like emotionally intelligent. I don't know. More than I am. Yeah, for sure. that. Sometimes I don't journal because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to remember this. Same. <laughs> I'm good. I don't want to talk this about this in the me. <laughs> I think I've had one entry in all of 2022 because it's like, I'm good. Yeah, that's just not something you want to think about. So just don't. No. <laughs> So now let's get into his personal music career. So you mentioned that you knew fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this Who doesn't is exciting. We're about fun. to talk about fun. So while we know Jack now as a highly acclaimed pop producer with 16 Grammy noms and five wins, you may not know that Jack was not into mainstream pop music growing up. He was more into the punk indie scene. You know, he was like not like other guys. And in an interview with The Guardian, Jack said, quote, I think it's different now. When the mainstream is good, there's less of a need for smaller scenes. A lot of the big stars like Beyonce and Kendrick, they're fucking incredible. So if you talk to your average kid, we can agree on that. If you asked any kid in 1997 what they thought of the radio, they'd be like, that shit sucks, end quote. Which I found interesting because I feel like MK, our generation, like specifically our age, us growing up, listening to the radio, I mean, it was good. Yeah, I always felt that way. I never was like, ah, this shit's lame. It's so mainstream. I need to listen to something punk. I don't know. I, I really liked listening to the radio. So I think it's interesting how it did shift. Yeah. How it used to be not cool to listen to the radio. And I, I listened to the radio all the time growing up. Yeah, I don't remember anyone like ever saying in middle school, really, at least or early high school that like they didn't listen to the radio because, you know. They had like cooler things to listen to. I wouldn't even yeah, like. I wouldn't exactly. even know where else to look for music because I was just so yeah. good with whatever was on the radio. Fun fact: that is a memory about the radio. That is how I found out about the Kanye 2009 VMAs interruption. Oh, really? Was on the radio on the way to school the next morning. Hmm. I'm sure that that's moment. like similar to how I found out because <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't watching the VMAs. Do you have any fun memories of the radio? I'm talking about this like it doesn't exist anymore, but it kind of doesn't. I know. I have not so. turned on the radio in so long. <laughs> I just remember that I wasn't allowed to listen to regular radio until like what? middle school, like maybe seventh grade. Um, I was uh -huh. only allowed to listen to the like Disney radio on XM. Radio Disney. Yeah. Radio Disney because I was sheltered. <laughs> And I remember like when popular songs would come out on the radio and everyone at school would know them and I wouldn't and I would have to go home and listen to them on YouTube without my mom because I wasn't allowed to listen to them in the car. Aww. Being sheltered was tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is fascinating. I've known MK for a very long time and I just learned today that she was not allowed to listen to the radio. Wow. Yeah. The power of podcasting, really. Well, learning a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, continuing... Jack wrote his first song at age 11 called Last Week's Lunch. It was about discovering a forgotten sandwich bag in your locker. So, MK, did you write any songs or little poems when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I did. I did write songs. But I think that it was like little snippets of songs I had already heard. Um, and they, I would just compile it into a new song and act like I wrote it. So, yeah. I do remember doing that, though. This whole conversation, thinking about Jack Antonoff writing a song about his lunch, is making me think about the Glee episode where Rachel wrote a song about her headband. Classic. So that's what's in my mind right now. <laughs> and that's also on topic since Glee did cover fun songs. Yes. That's so on so brand. So let's, let's get to what led up to fun. 
1998, Jack's first band, Outline, was created. He was a sophomore in high school, and he started this punk rock band with a few of his friends from elementary school, which is super cute. They released their first self-titled EP in the year 2000, and together they used a DIY guide called Book Your Own Fucking Life to book shows across the states, and they borrowed Jack's parents' minivan to tour in. Jack said, quote, half the time no one would show up or the equipment would be too fucked up to play, but that's when I fell in love with touring, end quote. Okay, so he was angsty. <laughs> Jack's second band was a punk band called Steel Train. They got a record deal Jack's senior year, and his parents gave them their blessing to skip college and tour. From that point on, he didn't stop touring for 11 years. They eventually went on to open up for Tegan and Sarah, and a few years later, Tegan and Sarah opened up for his next band, Fun. Wow, that is full circle. How cute. Yeah. And in 2008, this is when the world changed forever, Jack joined Fun. He was a writer and the guitarist, and you probably know their song, We Are Young, which was everywhere in 2012. And then I have in brackets, discuss We Are Young, because it's important. Yeah. Ever since you said the word fun in this conversation, the only thing I've heard in my head is the word tonight. I'm not going to sing it, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you remember listening to that? Because I have such clear memories, like clearer than anything else of like listening to that song with my friends. I thought that was like the most world shattering song. Like it was so different <laughs> from everything else that was happening at the time. It was. And I thought it was so cool. And it still is. It is. You were using past tense, but it's still... I listened to it while I was working on this episode. It's still a good song. It is. It's so interesting. Friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. Groundbreaking. Dude, I like... Okay, I went through a weird phase my freshman year of college. So in 2017 was the spring. I remember me and my roommate went through a weird fun phase. And we would like only listen to them <laughs> in the car and sing it really loudly and stuff. So it keeps coming back. It never left, I would argue. I think you're right. And their album, Some Nights, which featured We Are Young, earned them five Grammys in 2013. They got Best New Artist, Album of the Year, Best Pop Vocal Album, Record of the Year for We Are Young, and Best Pop Duo Performance for We Are Young. So they, they took over the scene, they got their bag, they got their trophies, and they left. So like everything he did was kind of unrecognized until... He released, what, is We Are Young? Like, was that the lead single? Was that their first, like, debut? And they just got I Grammys think after that? We Are Young was their debut single for this album. But this was actually their second album. Some Nights was their second album. Oh, okay, okay. But their first album, I don't even have the name of it in my notes. It did not do well. Wow. That's crazy, though, that they just, like, really shot to stardom so quickly. Yeah, I feel like... This might have been the moment for Jack when he realized I'm a lot better at pop than like punk. Oh, right. He switched. So that makes sense. And in Jack's case, this was an excellent decision because we got We Are Young. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think he even sold out, even though he switched from punk, because it was still different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. The way he did pop. So different. And I feel like that song also started a trend in music that I really liked, like more like avant-garde music yeah. I, don't, I can't even think of another example but I feel like it started something that I really liked yes the especially the lyrics like at the time I don't remember lyrics being 
that abstract. Yeah. Normally it was like. Just like club music. Like Justin Bieber. Yeah. Like what's that song? That's like give you everything tonight. (laughs) Like a song like that. Yeah. Just like and then about, in comparison to the lyrics of like the we are young. John Mulaney bit about like we only have tonight and like let's live it up tonight. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what music was at the time. I could geek out about that song for hours, but we had to continue because he quit to start the Bleachers. Okay. He announced this in February of 2014, and Jack said the name Bleachers was inspired by, quote, the disconnected, darker side of suburban youth and John Hughes movies, which were tied to a time when big songs were great songs, end quote. His first album was Strange Desire, and its debut single was I Want to Get Better, like we said. Taylor actually picked this out. I Want to Get Better ended up being becoming... Named number 18 in Rolling Stone's 50 Best Songs of 2014. Rolling Stone described the song as therapy rock and that it is as fun as it is cathartic, end quote. So I am shocked, MK, that you do not know this song. Yeah. And I feel like after this episode, you have to go listen to it. Yeah, I've been telling myself I need to listen to Bleachers for a while, but I've never committed and done it. I'm just going to pull up some lyrics if I want to get better. I didn't know I was lonely till I saw your face. That's a beautiful line, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss the days of a life still permanent. Mourn the years before I got carried away. Now I'm staring at the inner self, screaming at myself, hey, I want to get better. It's a good song. Wow. You got to give it a listen and report back to GFAL listeners what you think. You know, that feels like a, it feels like a perfect time to listen to music like that right now. Being 24, you know, about to go off in the real world. Seems like a good time to be yeah. like melancholy about things like that (laughs) and that's a theme in a lot of his music so i think i think you'll get really into it start with his first album strange desire just go through it all the way okay let me know your thoughts but it's good okay i promise i i believe you and now i'm very inspired to do it so so now let's get into something a little weird um in 2015 jack starred in google plays six episode docu-style series called thank you and sorry and it no longer exists. What was it about? <laughs> would love to know. I, I would have loved to have watched it to prepare for this. Um, if you look up Jack Antonoff, thank you and sorry, or Jack Antonoff documentary, any of those terms, a ton of articles come up talking about it, but you can't watch it. So let me tell you what I know from piecing together context clues from all of these articles about it. So the show apparently followed Jack around on tour for the bleachers and he hangs out with celebrities like lena dunham who played his publicist so i guess it was kind of fiction too um olivia wilde played someone trying to become his manager rosie perez played his long distance girlfriend uh jason manzoukas played the fictional band manager and each episode was 15 minutes long and was shot in black and white and that's literally all i know so it was fictional weird it was just docu-style but it was real footage of them performing. That's isn't this bizarre? Really weird, yeah. Did he? I, I wonder no if he like came up with this. He had to have. No one else would have said, "Let's do this." This had to be his idea that he like. Like Google Play. Google Play has exclusive documentaries. Is that a thing? Do they have a streaming service for a second that I just yeah, missed? Yeah, I'm actually there wondering are a lot of them. like how you even watched it. I don't understand this concept. Maybe it was Android only. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, that's so weird. 
I know. Also, I had to bring it up. Okay, it, can I clarify? Bleachers is a band. It's not just him. So it is technically like him. Okay. But he has like the same drummer and other people. Like For like when he tours? He has like a touring band. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But that's a good segue to Jack the producer. What is he working on that you don't see him as the front man? So now we're going to get spicy. We're going to talk about some things that gets Jack riled up. Okay. I'm scared. I feel like I said that so dramatically. <laughs> so I feel like I just announced that like I was about to say that he killed someone. No, I'm just talking about how he, he gets annoyed sometimes in interviews. Oh. So it's no secret that Jack works with a lot of women. As a casual music listener who did not know about Jack Antonoff, did, you knew that he works with a lot of women, right? Yes. Yeah. So Jack has worked with Tegan and Sarah, Taylor, of course, Sarah Borelli's, Lord, Diana Ross, FKA Twigs, St. Vincent, Florence and Machine, Lana Del Rey, Carly Rae Jepsen, The Chicks, Pink, and Claro. Men-wise, he has also worked with Red Hearse, which I had never heard of that band before. And I, while researching this episode, I looked up Red Hearse and I really like them, you guys. You guys should give them a listen. It reminds me if the group Black Pumas was produced by Jack Antonoff. That's how it sounds to me. I don't know who Black Pumas is, but should I? Well, they're really great. You should okay. listen to them. I'll send you some songs after this. Wow, I'm just going to have a whole new music library soon. It's <laughs> so exciting. Yeah, you're going to have a new playlist. <laughs> He's also worked with Troy Sivan and Kevin Abstract. He also produced the soundtrack for the 2018 movie Love, Simon. Oh, that's cute. All right, so here's where things are going to get spicy. I'm going to read a few interview quotes from Jack where he gets a little defensive about him working with a lot of women. So I'm specifically going to refer to Jack's 2021 Rolling Stone interview with Brian Hyatt. So I'm going to go back like, Brian, blah, 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 Jack, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here we go. Quote, Brian, it's not just that you work with female artists. Growing up, a lot of female artists were important to you, which isn't the case for some other male musicians. Jack, yeah, I was never that way. I don't really like cock rock. When I grew up in the 90s, it was always Fiona Apple and Bjork. I love Smashing Pumpkins, but there was nothing macho about them. I've had this conversation a lot in the studio that plays into what you're saying, and I've finally been able to understand that it's all about the difference between macho and tough. On one side of it, it's magical. On the other side of it, it's awful. Tough is amazing. Macho is bad. Fleetwood Mac is tough. Kiss is macho. Okay, before I go on, I just wanted to insert this because I don't know what it means. I think I get it. Did you follow that? Yeah, I get it. What are you thinking? That makes me, I think it's his take on like toxic masculinity. So macho is toxic masculinity. Yeah, I think he's saying it's like toxic masculinity, excuse me. And yeah, like trying to seem tougher than you are maybe. But tough is genuinely just like being resilient, I guess. And like speaking about Mm. your experiences in a, I don't know, like in a way that you're like not afraid to. If that makes sense. I I, I I get him. (laughs) Okay. In my mind, I was thinking those could be synonyms. Yeah. You know? I feel like macho. I was having a hard time. Macho, I'm like imagining someone like puffing out their chest and trying to like show that they're tough. And to me, the word tough is like Uh a little quieter and it's just like the way you are. Okay. I like that. Okay. So now let's get into the actual part of the interview where things get spicy. Okay. Quote, Brian, you've been asked many times why you gravitate toward working with women. Have you come up with any additional insights? Jack, it's never come up in my head outside of being interviewed. Brian, the most reductive, possibly idiotic answer is here's someone who's lost a sister seeking to dot, 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 Jack. 
MK's face just dropped. Jack, I wouldn't call it idiotic. I would call that like entry-level analysis. I don't have answers for a lot of these things. There's a lot of wonder there, and I think that's something that is good for the process, end quote. I think it was a little offensive the way that guy just brought up his sister who passed when he was really young. Like, Yeah, it seems like he was trying to like rile him up with maybe like a gotcha question. Yeah, it was. it's like... But this interview took an uncomfortable turn. Yeah, it had the energy of like guys telling girls they have daddy issues or something. Just like, yeah, kind of like weird. That I don't know. I didn't like the way he brought it up in like a well, don't you think it's this kind of way? Like, it was kind of gross. Yeah. And maybe he just enjoys working with women. Like, and I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be about his sister, but even if it is, you could have approached that a little bit more sensitively. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things, things got spicy. Okay. I did want to bring up another interview where Lena Dunham said that one of Jack's particularly strong feminist qualities is quote he never dismisses it when i feel i've experienced something that was gendered or misogynistic he never dismisses it or plays devil's advocate he listens to me and lets me figure it out which i feel lucky about end quote and i feel like this is a good example of why he works with women because he makes them feel safe i feel like it might not be that he likes to work with women it's that women like to work with him Mm mm-hmm I, I agree. Shout out to men who don't play devil's advocate because, you know, the devil doesn't need to be advocated for. We're, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's like that women are more in tune with their emotions and he gravitates towards them. I think it is the opposite where he's a rare man that will allow women to like experience things as, you know, as they, yeah, as they want. Yeah. Okay. So now that we're talking about Jack and women, I think... This is this is a good place for us to talk about the PowerPoint. MK, do you know what the PowerPoint is? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, this is good. Okay. Okay. So a few years ago, this was around the time the album Melodrama came out. Uh-huh. Someone released a PowerPoint that proved, I'm putting quotes around proved, that Jack and Lord were dating. Okay, I do remember that conspiracy theory. Yeah, so it all stems from this insane PowerPoint. It's crazy if you guys don't know what I'm talking about. Just literally Google Jack Antonoff PowerPoint. It'll come up. It was like analyzing their body language, song lyrics. Uh, It reminded me a lot of people who thought Joe and Taylor broke up after she released Folklore because they were like, there's a lot of sad songs. They must be broken up. And there were also like random slides that were really mean about Taylor for some reason. So it just really rubs me the wrong way. But this is a pain point for Jack Antonoff because this did go viral. He did not date Lord or he allegedly never dated Lord because that would also imply that he cheated on Lena Dunham Mm -hmm. because it overlaps. And um, it gets it gets brought up in interviews. So I'm going to continue reading from that Rolling Stone interview. We're going to go back to Brian, our friend Brian. Right, Brian. Quote. Someone made a PowerPoint about something they theorized happened in your personal life. And then in parentheses, it was alleged that Antonov had an affair with Lord in parentheses. It went viral. Is it weird to have people think they know something like that about you? Jack, I don't think people who listen to my music think they know that. There's a whole other audience, people that have some pretty hot takes, but they might not actually be your audience. 
I could do a really tight five minutes on why the affair theory is absurd, but then I just sort of go like back to work. Brian, when she had you on stage at Barclays Center, some writers online got worked up about the whole thing again. Jack, we played a song together. Ella and I have a brilliant friendship and a creative relationship. It's like, I read on a wall smeared in shit that you were not a nice guy. Care to comment? I went to the bottom of the ocean and there was a colony of people there who were all eating each other. They're like half fish, half human. And they said that you eat out of the dumpster. Care to comment? End quote. Oh, wow. (laughs) What a weird thing to say. (laughs) Don't bring up the PowerPoint. How did he even come up with that fish comment? Doesn't it feel like he was sitting on that for a while? He was waiting for that. <laughs> he pre- he was prepared to get asked about this again. He's like, do you know what? I'm going to come up with... He was stewing on that. That was in his notes app on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, you know how when you get into an argument with someone and you kind of play it back and you're like, I would have said this and then they would have said that and then I would have said this. Yeah. And when you're a celebrity, you do get asked that over and over so you can actually do that. <laughs> yeah. And this feels like that, like him stewing on the last time he was asked, he's like, I should have said this. And then he was locked and loaded for this Rolling Stone interview. I feel like it is a little insulting for him because it might, uh, how should I say this? It's not great to imply that a producer is sleeping with his singer. Yeah, and not only that, but that he's, a cheater with a very long-term like relationship and yeah I'm sure that caused issues between him and Lena in a way even if you know she trusts him that's like and they did break up like around this powerpoint let's let's just get that out there oh no way (laughs) so it might have been the powerpoint so or well it I bet the powerpoint people felt vindicated as well (laughs) yeah yeah So we had to bring up the PowerPoint. I feel like it's important because I can see Jack getting defensive over this because it might make other women like not want to work with him if they think that he's sleeping with the people he's producing with, you know? Yeah, for sure. So now let's get into the stuff that Jack has actually worked on. And before we get into the songs and albums you may or may not have known, I do want to share a little bit of what his personal sound is, like the Jack Antonoff sound. And a lot has been written about this because he does have a distinct sound. I think you can hear that in the specific sounds he's worked on with Taylor. And once you hear that sound in the future, if you listen to like a song by the bleachers, you'll go like, this is a Jack Antonoff song. Like I can totally tell it's so distinct. So I am going to pull from a Voltero article titled six elements of the Jack Antonoff sound. That's going to help me out because I'm not great with music terminology and mk if any of this does not sound normal interrupt me and we'll talk about it okay 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 the first sound they list is poppy percussive acoustic guitars you can hear this in the louvre by lord betty by taylor and texas man by the chicks i guess i get that number two grand string flourishes you can hear this in saint vincent new york some nights by fun my Tears Ricochet, August, and Mirrorball. The third sound is Big 80 Cents. And to me, like personally, this is a marker of a Jack Antonoff sound. Like this is what I think when I think of Jack. Yeah, it makes me think of like the 1989 melodrama kind of music from Jack. Yeah, like I Wish You Would, Out of the Woods. Yes. Then Big Choruses, which I, I totally get. Like we can hear this in Out of the Woods, oh. Cruel Summer, August, Getaway Car, the Louvre by Lord again. 
And the article says that his choruses anchor his hits. And I think that's really true for especially the ones he does with Taylor. Like the August chorus, classic. Yeah. I guess when you when you mention that, the Jack Antonoff songs that I know from Taylor at least are better choruses usually when she's normally a bridge kind of girl. Yeah. And sometimes they come together and they make getaway car. Yeah, or even August. And it changes everything. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, intimate songwriting. We touched on this a little bit earlier on how Jack described being open about his loss and grief and his own music, but this is a major superpower when he works with others. So the best example of this is the entire melodrama album by Lord. The article also lists Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana, but I haven't listened to that, so I can't vouch for it. And Lover by Taylor. I'm a very casual Lord listener, so I don't know a ton about that, but I think I get it, I guess, from what I've heard from her. I'm really surprised that you're not really into melodrama. This is going to sound like a diss, but take it as a compliment. You give off the vibe of someone who would be really into melodrama. (laughs) (laughs) I get that, honestly. (laughs) It's one of my favorite albums, too. So it is a compliment. I love melodrama. I can listen to it all the way through, which I cannot do with most albums. I feel like I haven't really tried, to be honest. So. That's fair. I probably should. Okay, you have a lot of homework after this episode. Is that the one with like green light and super cut of us or whatever? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I would like that album actually. I love super cut. Okay, we gotta we gotta keep going. I can't just keep creating playlists. Right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the last sound the article mentions is quote just a woman with a guitar or piano end quote. So they list soon you'll get better folklore and melodrama as an example of this okay interesting so now that we've gotten into like the quintessential jack sound i want to know mk do you hear like a jack sound like when you listen to a new album by taylor like when you listen to evermore and you heard gold rush were you like that's a that's a jack antonoff song yes and I will back that up by saying when we knew that jack and aaron produced different um vault tracks on red and fearless i knew which ones were jack like you can just tell exactly yeah they're so different and it's fascinating that it's like at the end of the day it's a taylor song yes but you can just like production i guess is i love it so now i want to share some songs that you may or may not know jack has worked on that i don't think we've mentioned yet okay his first big credit ever brave by sarah borelli's Oh, I hate that song. Space. But it got him it got him a fat check that was in Windows commercials. I mean, it was everywhere. Yeah. Oh my god, that song just makes me mad. <laughs> then Gaslighter by the Chicks, Beautiful Trauma by Pink, and he did I Don't Wanna Live Forever. Oh, okay. Zayn and Taylor. Yeah, alright. It's so crazy that he like has a lot of range, to be honest. Like, even just the songs you just mentioned are so different. Yeah, like, Gaslighter really stands out to me. But, like, when you go back and listen to it, it's like, okay, this checks out. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, the big chorus. Yeah, that we talk about, like, his his sound, quote-unquote. But how do we know it when it's all so different? Like, Brave and I Don't Want to Live Forever and Gaslighter are three very different songs. So now let's talk about Jack and Taylor. So their friendship goes back a decade when he and Taylor met at the 2012 Europe Music Awards and they became friends through the award show and festival circuit. And later they hung out at Holiday House in Rhode Island and bonded over their mutual love of a particular snare drum from a fine young cannibal song, which later became the inspiration for Sweeter Than Fiction, 
for the 2013 movie One Chance, which they wrote by emailing ideas back and forth. Okay, I feel like I gave a lot of information here. Do you need to digest? Yes. Um, I just want to say that I think I don't know if I would be as like besties with Taylor as I think I would, because if someone tried to bond with me over one snare drum sound in one song, I would think they are insufferable. Like, can you imagine <laughs> just being like the third wheel to that conversation and being like, what oh my are gosh. you guys talking about? Shut up. <laughs> I am not familiar with the fine young cannibal song, nor do I know what a snare drum is. But I would love to know exactly what they're talking about. And also, MK, can you, as a former drummer, what is a snare drum? It's uh, like the one that makes the beat. It's like the one is you Is it like would... the really deep one? No, no, the other one. Um, like if you're in a marching band, it's the one that sits in front of your hips, like oh, it's flat. Like t- yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the most common, like, yeah. But this was a really special moment for Jack because he credits Taylor for making him a producer. He said, quote, it's funny because if nobody listens to your song, you're still a songwriter. If nobody watches your band, you're still a performer. But if nobody lets you produce your album, you can't really call yourself a producer. Taylor was the first person to take me seriously and just say, "Okay, that's done. That song was 2014's Out of the Woods. She really kicked the door down for me, and now it just makes me feel like she trusts and believes in me, end quote. Well, that's really precious. Yeah. Shout out to Taylor. I mean, she really saw something in him that turned him into the producer that he is today that I feel like has completely changed the music industry. That's very interesting, though, that he felt like no one believed in him, in him until her when he had won Grammys already. And I know yes, but he wasn't a producer and he wasn't the main lyricist. Okay. He says in a couple of interviews, like, I was really just the guitarist. So, okay. Well, I I don't know how deep that goes or if he's being humble. It sounds like Taylor gave him a lot of confidence to kind of go wild. Yeah. Which I love. And 1989, my favorite Taylor album, was the first album that Jack really got to work on, like, ever. Like, this was the first time an artist was like, work on this album with me. And the rest is history. So Jack helped create Out of the Woods. And it has backing vocals that sample his song, Wild Heart. I did not know this. And I am a fan of Jack Antonoff and a fan of Taylor. So I went back and I listened to Out of the Woods and I listened to Wild Heart. And I was like, oh. So now you guys all have to do it. Is that a Bleacher song? Yes. It's from his first album. Okay. That's so interesting. You're going to have to add it to the list. Yeah. (laughs) And also, You Are In Love and I Wish You Would. They have a particular knack for writing songs together quickly, which we saw in the Miss Americana documentary when they wrote the bridge to Getaway Car in 30 seconds. Recalling this, Jack said to Rolling Stone, quote, It's the only time in my life that a lightning in a bottle moment, a pure moment of crazy writing was caught on film. It's rare that you just like blurt out a whole song. But there's pieces like that bridge where we're just going back and forth and yelling things. It's sort of like, whoa, oh my God, what just happened? It can happen like that. That's when it feels like a movie, end quote. That's so cute. And I can like literally hear that. Oh yeah, I can hear it. I'm hearing it in my head because it like went a little viral on TikTok, on like Swift Talk of them like yelling back and forth. I'm in a getaway car and yeah, (laughs) I, I feel like I could recite it. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, I'm going to play the clip. Why am I excited? I'm in a getaway car. Oh! And I'm losing my... Something. Think about the... 
Ooh. I'm in a getaway car. And and you you're Imagine. in the motel bar. Or like yeah, I'm in I'm in the getaway car, left you in the motel bar, took the money the, took the money in the bag and I stole the money took the, the money in the bag and I stole the keys. That was the last time you ever saw me. Okay, but wasn't that so special? It's so cute. Like, they're both <laughs> just so excited. And Getaway Car is so good. Do you remember when we saw that live and she was in her jacket and she was, like, bouncing? Oh, yeah. It made me love the song even more. I don't know if you knew this, but Getaway Car is my favorite Taylor Swift song ever. I did know that. Yeah. So. Okay, so now let's get into the full list of all of Jack's songs with Taylor. And this is going to take a few deep breaths for me, okay? So okay. just give me give me a break. Okay, Take here we go. Time. From the top. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. August, Betty, call it what you want. Cruel summer, death by a thousand cuts, dress, false god, getaway car, gold rush. I think he knows. I wish he would. Illicit affairs, London boy, look what you made me do. New Year's Day, mirror ball, paper rings, soon you'll get better, sweeter than fiction. The lakes, this is me trying. This is why we can't have nice things. You are in love. Now the re-recordings, that's when, don't you, bye-bye baby, babe, forever winter, all too well, two minute, 10 minute version. Wow. So seriously, some of her best work. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. What from that list are some of your favorites other than getaway car? So August Betty, I have a weird fascination with call it what you want. And I know that's not like the most popular song. Cruel Summer, Death by a Thousand Cuts, Dress. I love how you're just like rereading them all as your favorites. That's actually true. Wait, all these are literally like my favorites. I don't know. Other than Getaway Car, like, do you have a favorite? That would be like, this is my favorite song Jack has produced other than Getaway Car, of course. And it sounds like so Jack Antonoff to me. Because for me, that's Look What You Made Me Do. So then I would say Cruel Summer and Gold Rush, which also show how So Him can be so different. Yeah, Gold Rush is a really good example of that because that song is perfect to me. And it has that weird beginning too. That song, that and Ivy compete with each other all the time to be my favorite song on Evermore. Mm -hmm. And right now I think it's Gold Rush. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just quirky. It's interesting. And the lyrics are quirky too. Like your Eagles mm -hmm. t-shirt. I love it. Me too. I Oh my gosh. And uh, My Mind Turns Your Life Into Folklore is like one of my favorite lyrics because it's so relatable. It's like... When you daydream about someone, you're like literally creating folklore for them in your mind and mm -hmm. who they are probably isn't exactly what's happening. And oh, it's so good. What about the re-recordings other than all too well 10 minute version? Of course. Yeah. Don't you? Underrated in my mind. That one has a major jack sound for sure. I think that's probably my favorite on the list of the re-recordings is Don't You. That song really gets me going. I am... A little surprised about Babe, though. I'm not sure if I hear him and Babe. Maybe in like the, what about your promises, promises? Like maybe yeah. in that little part. I can hear the way, I can hear him in the way of its contrast to the Sugarland version, if that makes sense. That's true. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's like the Antonoft version of There's that. a certain, yeah, like spin on it, um, which I feel mm -hmm. like I only recognize because it's different from the original version that yeah, I listen to because yeah. I like country music anyway. Jack doesn't seem to be afraid to jump right into swiftiness either, which I love, including producing the all too well 10 minute version. In an interview with Billboard, Jack said, quote, there are these moments where I get to produce the 10 minute version of all too well with Taylor. And when I was working on that song, I was thinking to myself, this is a great honor. Love this song. I was not involved in the original. 
I know how important this song is to her and her people. I am going to go about this with the most integrity and care humanly possible, right? It was really special and it meant a lot to me. To see that go number one is just further confirmation of what needs to be dismantled in your head, which is don't ever fucking think about what some herb is telling you the thing that's going to work right now. Because if someone's telling you that, they're already too late, end quote. I love it because it is such a good reminder to just like create whatever you want because it could be hugely successful. I also like the way he knew that he had a responsibility to preserve the magic of what All Too Well already was and the respect to Taylor and the fan base for like kind of vowing to uphold that. Yeah. And acknowledging how important and like monumental it was. And now he has the credit for producing the longest song to ever go number one, which is crazy. I'm not going to lie. I am shocked that it happened. I know that Taylor is a full queen and whatever, but I was, I thought that that was going to be a very cult following appreciation is like the fan base would love it and we would love it and appreciate it and know how great it was. But I didn't think that the like rest of the world, the normies would (laughs) like catch on to it like we did and like even understand it like we would. And I'm so happy that it did. It just makes me kind of emotional, honestly, because it's like this song that we as Swiffers have held on to so tightly. Like this is, we know like this is one of her best songs, like probably in her top 10, right? And now everyone knows that. It, it took a while. Yeah. But like now everyone knows it. And I love that. And not that she's an underdog in any sense yeah. of the word, <laughs> but it almost felt like, that song, you know, had potential to kind of be, it feels like an underdog story because it should, it shouldn't have gone number one and it did. No, so a 10 minute song that, uh, um, it was that already exists on the radio. And it already existed. It's yeah. just like longer. It's so yeah. crazy. And it already existed and it wasn't a single, it wasn't, you know, big. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. It's really crazy. It's nice that she can still have those moments too. Yeah. She's like still getting wins. Yeah. Even when you think, like, what more can she achieve? She's still achieving, and I love that. It reminds me of last night when I was hosting a Taylor Swift night. I walked out at one point, and I was introducing the next song. So I said, the next song we're going to play was written 10 years ago. And last year, and then there was, like, cheering, like, ah! And last year, she re-recorded it, ah! And made it 10 minutes long, ah! I hope my sound effects are great. Then she made a short film. Ah, would you like to watch it? Screams. I'm not even going to like do the screams. And then we watched the film like in this bar and it was so magical. And I just, I love that. Like Taylor did that for us. It's just so special. I love it. It made me so happy to just witness like people like falling together in the bar watching Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien argue in the kitchen. Yeah. It was such a magical moment. And I'm thankful that like Jack was a part of that. So yeah that oh my gosh why does that make me like almost emotional <laughs> like <laughs> it was very emotional i know she literally was i had like, to keep it together because i was the host <laughs> she like was already a superstar but i'm just like so happy she succeeded like i don't know yeah. so funny yeah jack is also really on board with easter egg culture 
in the Swifty world, which I think is really interesting. And I wonder if Jack has ever gotten into fan theory fatigue, like we've mentioned on last episodes. Like, do you think he gets tired of it? I don't know. But in an interview with DIY Mag, Jack said, quote, Easter egg culture is always something I've loved. He says, laughing at a particularly roundabout Reddit thread that has someone forming a complex anagram with the album title minus specific letters. I've always been hiding little things here and there. I remember when I first listened to Green Day's Dookie and realized there was a secret song. That was the coolest thing. Playing Dark Side of the Moon backwards, the conspiracy of Paul McCartney being dead, dot, dot, dot. This is my stuff. I look for this stuff, so I appreciate it, end quote. I feel like this just further proves that he is among the best people to work with Taylor because he just gets it. Yeah. And, you know, when he when you said in the beginning of this section about how he's like not afraid to like lean in to the swiftiness, I was Mm -hmm. like thinking about Easter eggs because he does like do the tweets and now we have to analyze his tweets and his posts, too. And Mm -hmm. I like his emojis. Yeah. I like when people like are into that with her. And like to play along with her and stuff. So it's yeah. it's good to hear that he's not even just playing along, but he's into it and probably helping her create them, honestly. Yeah, I would love to know if there are any that he came up with. Yeah, you know? I wonder if he thinks of them, if he can just like tweet it or if he has to get her approval. He definitely has to get her approval. <laughs> yeah. He can't just be dropping hints yeah, like that on to, his own. He has to send a few signed documents to Swifty Nation, get it notarized. I also wonder if he is a really good person to do this with Taylor because he also knows a lot of intimate details about Taylor's life. Like if you think about the song, look what you made me do, like every single lyric is a tiny little Easter egg about her life. And I, and I feel like he's such a good person to work on these songs with because he knows like what happened with Carly Kloss. Like he knows, he knows that just made me really jealous of him. Like, he knows everything. <laughs> he knows what happened. He knows some secrets. Wow. Yeah. And he can, like, help her write those little zingers. That's wild. That we analyze over and over. And that's so exciting to me. Yeah. I bet that feels really cool for him. Okay. So now that we've talked about Jack and Taylor, his music, his life, now um, we have to talk about why a lot of people don't like him. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a bummer. To kind of end with? We can turn it around, though. We'll advocate for him a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I want to specifically talk about this article by Pitchfork called Jack Antonoff, Polarizing Nice Guy. And I'm going to give you guys a little background on before this article came out. As someone who was chronically online, I read the Popheads subreddit. It's on Reddit. There's this little page called Popheads. And every single day, they have something called a daily tea time thread. And I read it every night to fall asleep. There's just something about gossip that just really lulls me. It relaxes me. I don't know what it is. So anyway, I kind of use that as like like a gauge to see like the general pop fans' thoughts of things. And also just like general posts on there, talking about Jack and reading those comments. That's kind of how I think of what a lot of super fans like me, who are really into pop music, I think it's a good indicator of what other chronically online people might think. Or it could be a vocal minority, you know? Yeah. So around the time the PowerPoint came out, things kind of took a turn with Jack. People were kind of viewing him as a cheater, 
as you know a producer who's sleeping with his finger things started to take a turn but it leveled out pretty quickly this was like just a little dip in his reputation and then we moved on now it's just kind of like a meme within the community like the powerpoint and if you ever see like powerpoint capital p and the pophead subreddit it's like a joke referring to that so that there was a dip during that time and then things were pretty steady but in the past two years things have completely changed things have really shifted for the the worse for jack and again this is these are chronically online ticks. This is not what the general pop- population thinks. These are people who need to go outside and touch grass. I need to go touch grass because I know all these things. But when solar power came out specifically, that's when I saw the biggest shift. That's when I saw like hate posts about Jack Antonoff come out. That's when I saw things like, how many pop girlies does Jack Antonoff have changed in his basement? Like, why won't he let them work with other producers? Like, (laughs) everything sounds the same, yada, yada, yada. And one of the biggest criticism I saw was the album he produced with Lana Del Rey, Kim Trails Over the Country Club. But apparently there's songs on there that sound exactly like songs on Solar Power. And people think he's recycling, like, beats. And that he has such a specific sound that he's run out of sounds to make. Okay. The song I saw specifically mentioned is Lord's song Stoned at the Nail Salon. People really love to hate that. And now that you guys have a background on why people may not like him, and it's so dumb. It's just like, hey, these songs sound similar. Well, yeah, I mean, he made both of them, right? Now I think we can get into the article. I will say, as a person who's casually online I guess is what I would be I do remember seeing TikToks about um not it wasn't as like intense as all those but saying um that he is like kind of not manipulating the women but um influencing them all to sound like him in a way yeah um I do remember that I think it was mainly comparing folklore to solar power and just all the like acousticness and then probably Lana Del Rey, but I don't know. I haven't really heard that, um, like album. So I think that is, um, that was, and I did make it to mainstream internet a little bit, I will say. So there was a vibe. Things were, um, taking a turn. People were getting tired of him. They were telling him he needs to take a break. He's got album after album and they all sound the same. Mm -hmm. And then, and then MK, Jack Antonoff, comma, polarizing nice guy comes out. And this goes like a little viral in the pop community. And I asked you to read this before the episode because I wanted you to go in blind for most things, but I really wanted us to discuss this article. So do you have any thoughts you'd like to share on it? Yeah. So it was kind of a roller coaster for me. Like <laughs> in some parts, <laughs> I was really agreeing with them. And I was like, yeah, he is, you know, he is influencing these albums to his personal style at the time. Because if you think about it, like melodrama and 1989 have similar sounds kind of just like the eighties pop vibes. And then Mm -hmm. at the exact same time period, those two artists release very acoustic albums. It's, it's interesting. And like, I kind of understand the criticism of him, but I also found myself defending him like in my head a lot 
in the article. And to clarify, this is by Quinn Moreland. And she essentially wrote everything I just told you guys about those certain songs sounding the same and the sounds and homogeny. I think I'm saying that Mm -hmm. right. And uh, it was a little, it felt a little mean spirited to me at times. So that's the background context if you haven't read the article. And I would love to read a specific quote. MK. Quote. The man has a real Dan Humphrey aura about him and can't go a single interview without mentioning how growing up across the river from Manhattan made him insecure, despite the fact that he attended a prestigious performing arts school next to Central Park, end quote. (laughs) This is most pointed call outs I've ever read. It's very specific, but I could also kind of understand what she means where like if he didn't get super famous, he would be the guy that has like a Pulp Fiction and Tame Impala posters in his apartment. You know the guy. (laughs) Like I think he would be that guy. So I can see what she means, but that the the Dan Humphrey thing was too far. (laughs) Yeah, and it really made fun of him for being like very new jersey yeah like a like a jersey boy but i say like let him have it and it also made fun of him for being a big springsteen fan yeah he's from new jersey like i i don't know it was kind of weird to me how a lot of it was making fun of his new jerseyness and like it's a state yeah the it the article did mention quite a few times that something about springsteen and the bleachers and i was like okay I get it. And I haven't even heard it, but I get it. <laughs> like, let it <Yeah>. go. <laughs> and then one last quote I want to read before we finish the episode is, I believe, the harshest. Quote, while I have no reason to doubt the genuine care behind his approach to songcraft, there's something icky about aggressively presenting yourself as a man empathetic to women's emotions. Thank you. We get it. End quote. And I really hate this because I feel like it's dissing on a guy being nice to women. Like, I, I don't know. Do you feel differently, MK? Yes. How do you feel about this? No, I would love to hear it. I completely agree. I hated this because all we ever want, I think, especially out of like a feminist perspective, is for men to do the right thing, be more empathetic. And I think that he's always been doing everything that women could ask for in a way that sounds like I'm really glorifying him but I just think he's doing it right and now he's getting criticized for doing it right all the time like I don't know like do you want him to be bad sometimes and like yeah I just don't what do you want what does the writer want yeah and I don't understand the aggressively presenting part because I don't think he is. I think it's interviews like labeling him as a feminist. I think it's interviews asking him about working with women. I think it's interviews being like, why do you like to write women's songs? Isn't that a little sexist to say talking about his working with women is more focused on the women than the work? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that they're women. It's not women's songs. It's just songs. And this is how the article ended. And I was like... I mean, there are some points I could see arguing for, but this one was just like, you're mad at him. And there was one quote, um, I didn't write it down, but it was something along the lines of no matter what he does, even if he's doing it right, just simply being a straight, maybe not straight, I don't know, white man casts a shadow on everything he does, which I thought was an interesting Mm. thing to say. 
I remember reading that too. And I was just like, what was the point of saying this? I understand that we wish that Taylor Swift and other um, like female icons would work with women more. But he's just a guy doing what he like he's just doing his best i don't know just the fact that he you have <laughs> he's just a little guy yeah, the fact that you have nothing to criticize him on and yeah i don't know i just thought it was very interesting that her vendetta when she had nothing else to say was just about something he can't even control yeah yeah like what What's like the fix in that situation? You yeah. Know? And if, I, I don't know. If there is a fix, it's on the women, not on Jack. So. Yeah. Then it's like blaming the women for not working with women. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't like it. It rubbed me the wrong way. It's just interesting. And if you guys yeah. like took this differently, talk to us about it in the Discord. I would love to know your thoughts if you agreed with this or if maybe MK and I are, are missing something. But yeah. And like I said, I did agree with a few parts of what she was mm-hmm. saying. I understood her points. I think the fact that it went in such an aggressive direction weakened her points. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we've ended on such a downer, why don't we do nightmares and daydreams and close out? Okay. Do you have a, let's see, let's start with your nightmare. We'll do nightmares first. Okay. My nightmare um, is that I cannot consume any sort of media the way I used to because my attention span um, doesn't exist anymore because of TikTok. <laughs> I can barely yep. make it through a 20-minute episode of Seinfeld. It's genuinely difficult for me. And I mm-hmm. tried to sit down and watch Spencer, mm-hmm. literally an Oscar-nominated film. Did they win? <laughs> Did they? I don't know if they won anything. No. Okay. Coda won. Right. Um, nominated though. And I couldn't even do it. And I'm a huge movie person. I used to like movies more than TV and I couldn't make it through because I just was not bored cause it was bad, but like just found myself fidgeting a little bit and wanting to watch TikToks. And I don't know, I'm really disappointed in myself about that. And I'm trying to work on it. Okay. I have, I actually have a suggestion for you, MK. Okay. So we, full disclosure, you guys, MK and I talked about this before we started recording and this just popped in my head just now. So I don't even know if it's a good idea yet, but I did recently read a book that was a collection of short essays. Like each chapter was like two or three pages, maybe five. And that was really helpful for me to like not look at my phone because it was kind of like the TikTok version of a book. Mm-hmm. They were so short. And then I was like, look at me. I'm reading a book. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) It's the Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. And I know a lot of people hate John Green, but this was a good book. I liked it. It's nonfiction. Okay. Interesting. I think I should give that a try because I've been wanting to read a book lately, but I just, I haven't even tried because I feel like I won't be able to do it. Like It's so bad. Sometimes I can't even. And that's why I started with this because it's like I'm soft launching reading again. The other day I was watching a TikTok and I was like, oh my God, this is like so long. And I looked, 45 seconds. It was 45 seconds long. It felt like three minutes at least. It was so bad. I get like that too. It's really hard. But I I recommend the book. If you are MK or you are like MK or like me and just have a hard time with attention and you want to get back into like reading physical books on paper, such an antiquated concept and Wow. But it's a good way to not jog your way back into the sprint, but like hat, like crawl. (laughs) 
Like you're crawling. This is the crawling step to get back into reading. Some reason I was thinking it's like the soft launch. Like you're soft launching your attention span. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Okay, Cressy, what's your nightmare? My nightmare is actually really, really similar to yours because it's also TikTok. It is specifically going viral on TikTok. Um, it sucks. I don't know if anyone listening has ever gone viral on TikTok, but it sucks. Like a lot. Like I had to schedule like an ASAP appointment with my therapist. It is, I don't think humans were evolved. We're not like evolved enough yet to like get that much attention. And it's really hard. I posted a, it's like a 56 second video on Sunday and it was a review of a fold out treadmill. (laughs) You would think Cressy, that's so innocuous. No one could ever say anything mean about you. Well, let me tell you. They found things to say about me. My stride is too short. Why don't I just walk outside? God, Americans are so dumb. They literally just don't walk outside. Um, wow, you must be rich, huh? Not everyone can afford a treadmill. Um, you're walking too slow. Like, oh y'all, anything that could have been said about the video, like I think if you put all of like the thousand comments about it, Oh, I don't think I've said this yet. It has 2.1 million views. That is far too many views for a treadmill review. That is 56 seconds long. That's not normal. If you put all those comments together, I think it's a dissertation, like with a thesis, like deconstructing me. And I should not have like, I read every single comment. I should not have done it. I was, I've been glued to my phone ever since I posted on Monday, the day when it was really peaking y'all my screen time. I don't even know if I want to say this publicly. Please, my screen time, say it. 10 hours. Oh, I've had worse. my screen time was 10 hours. And it was because I just had it next to me watching the mean comments pop up and I could not stop. And I'm just now in a place where like, I'm, I didn't check it while recording. I'm very proud of myself. Oh my God. If this was even like yesterday, I think I would have checked it while recording. Like I was at dinner with my friend Hannah last night and like, Every few sentences, like she would be saying something like, I should check it. I should check it. I should check it. And it's broken my brain, but I think it's finally died down enough that I'm back to normal. But let me tell y'all, I don't recommend it. And if you go viral on TikTok, you get like a special notifications page I didn't know about. It's intense. Okay. Anyway, that's my nightmare. (laughs) I knew that I could never handle like going viral or being famous in any way because of like criticism and people's opinions. But what I'm intrigued by about this situation is that you literally didn't even, like you didn't even form an opinion. It was the most, in the least mean way possible, like bland way to go viral. I don't even say the name of the product in the video. I don't even say the name or where I got it from. I had to put that in the comments. I I I bet you got hate for that too because you didn't talk about it after you reviewed it. Yeah. I don't know how people who have opinions and go viral by people different with differing opinions commenting but the fact that you like did something just so unoffensive in every way possible and people still found something to be mad about is so insane Mm -hmm. i don't recommend it literally a nightmare had nightmares a week-long anxiety attack i think i mean i've gone an hour without checking it that might be the longest i've gone all week so this is a win but anyway i've complained long enough let's talk about something happy what's your daydream this weekend Okay, my daydream will get happy. Um, I love Survivor. (laughs) Um, I just have always loved the show. But um, Survivor and, like, Big Brother, 
um, like reality shows like that, I felt like got very bland um, between mm-hmm. like 2012 to 2018, probably, I would say. Um, I just thought they all went really downhill and everyone was advocating for a more diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I really think that's why these shows have gotten so much better in the past few years because they're so much more diverse with like gender, sexuality, race, everything. And it has revived it. It is so much more interesting to watch when it's not always the same types of people, you know, with the same tropes and stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. But specifically this season of Survivor has been so good. I've been really into it. And you know what? It's one show that I can watch without picking up my phone. I Aww, love that's it. That's a win. I know. I think that's this cast is really good. And I'm just like really into this season. So if you're into like reality TV or Survivor, if for some reason you fell off like I did, it's gotten way better. And this season's really good. Okay. Is that on a streaming platform or is it on cable? It's on CBS on cable. Um, and I watch it on streaming because I don't have cable, but it's on Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. which is kind of an oddball okay. one. Um, but they're the ones that do all the CBS shows. So we have Paramount okay. Plus. Yeah. What about you? What's your daydream? My daydream is the Apple TV show Severance. So I only have Apple TV because I have like the three month free trial that they do sometimes. So I've been watching some Apple TV shows and this show, it, it might be up there with like Lost for me, you guys. Oh, I've seen Lost four or five times. So I, I think, MK, I think you would eat this show up. But let me give you the synopsis. So Adam Scott plays the main character. You know Adam Scott, right? Yes. Yeah, he's... Ben from Parks and Rec mm-hmm. and Derek from Step Brothers. He's a famous actor and he plays a man who works at kind of this mysteriously large company. Like they own like the whole town that he lives in. I'm imagining like, like an Amazon or Google okay. or like Disney, you know, like one of like the big companies, but like in a dystopian future. So he works there, but he's something called severanced and that's what the title is from. So basically when he goes to work, he has no memory of the outside world. If he has kids, a family, he doesn't know where he lives. Like once he goes up that elevator, he does not know anything about himself or his life outside of it. He just like works all day. So that he can like focus better. Yeah. So there's no distractions. There's no like idle chit chat with your coworkers about what you did this weekend. You're not thinking about your personal problems. Like his, his wife passed away and that's why he got severance because he wanted like a break from you know, grieving. Wow. But then when he leaves, he goes down the elevator. He has no idea what he does for a living. He doesn't know his job. He doesn't know if he's like doing like crimes or anything bad. You know, like he could be doing, he, he has no idea what he's doing. Like the plot of it basically is Audi him is thinking something, something fishy is going on at work. I just don't know what it is. And any him is like, I think something fishy is going on here. But like, they don't know that both of them know. And then out the Audi one meets someone who used to work with him on the inside. Oh, and that's all I'll say. And it's really good. It's really digestible. There's like color symbolism in that. And you'll know I love color symbolism. Uh There's numbers. It reminds me a lot of Lost. Like just like all like the little things you have to pay attention to. 
it's really good. It's really twisted. And probably rewatchable. That's like my favorite thing about shows that have tiny Yeah, like I want to rewatch it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you have to watch that. You have to listen to The Bleachers and a lot of other stuff. You got your work cut out for you. I'll need you to just let me know when it ends so that I can get the free trial and binge it because I don't like waiting week to week. And that wraps up this episode of Good for a Weekend. Thank y'all for listening. And thank you, MK, for being our first guest on this new format. You were such a great sport. Do you have any like closing thoughts on Jack Antonoff or anything we talked about today? No, I think I would just like to say I like Jack Antonoff since we ended on a bad note. Okay, you're on his side. I'm on his side, you know. I don't think he can help that he's part of the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all like a part of the patriarchy in a yes, way? Yes, and I think he's doing his best to counteract it and stuff. So I don't know. I'm I'm into him and I like what he's done with Taylor. So I would Me say too. Me too. MK approved. <laughs> <laughs> we need like a like a little stamp. Yeah. <laughs> And also, thank you for letting me come back whenever you text me and ask if I want to join. Um, it's never really a question. I'm always interested. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And if you liked this episode, you can chat with us. We have an Instagram and Twitter at GFA Weekend. We also have a Discord where we do a lot of chatting. That link is in our show notes. We have a TikTok at Good for a Weekend Podcast. We have a subreddit, which I'm not active on. So do you know what? I'm not even, even going to say the name of it. Sorry, guys. And if you have not already, please leave us a review. Spotify now lets you give reviews on podcasts. And I think we only have like 22 which we have like over 100 on Apple Podcasts. So we really need to bump those Spotify numbers. If you guys want to give us a review, they really help us out. They bump us up and search ratings. I think right now when you search good for a weekend on Spotify, it's not even the first one to come up. So give us a review if you have the time. Really appreciate it. But thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. And MK, do you want to give us a G-Faw out? Always. All right. G-Faw out.